Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Fighting Cock, The Extra Inch. Just a reminder, first off, that the podcast feed is now live. Please do subscribe. Follow the Twitter account, The Extra Inch. Thank you so much for all the reviews and ratings so far. It's very much appreciated. If you could take five minutes to leave us a rating and a review, it would really help us out. We are once again recording at the wonderful SNK Studios in London. Many, many thanks to Cave from the Owen the Spurs podcast, who always makes us so welcome. I think he might be the nicest man in the world. Um, this time, though, we've been demoted to a different, slightly smaller office um, studio space because Cave has have other clients who actually pays him money. So we've had to sacrifice Nathan, um, only metaphorically, uh, but it means you won't hear Nathan's dulcet tones this time. But Bardi is here, my sidekick and best friend. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. How are you doing? I'm good. And we're delighted to welcome Priya Ramesh. Um, Priya is a football writer for The Guardian, The Blizzard and Benefit, amongst other publications, and is widely seen as a Dutch football expert, I think it's fair to say. Um, you may have heard her previously on The Fighting Cock discussing Vincent Janssen and then Davinson Sanchez with Flav. I think we'll come back to both of those later. Uh, Priya, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Nice so to be good, here. Good to see you. So I think we'll start off by talking about you. You've made the effort to calm down. <laughs> Talk to us about how you got into football and um, your relationship with, with football growing up. Well, I'm, 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 I'm probably a lot younger than many people realise. So I actually grew up like in the, in the 2000s um, and uh, there used to be an anime, like a Japanese cartoon called Captain Tsubasa. Um, interestingly, the creator of which I got to interview for the uh, for the Blizzard last summer, uh, and it was one of the, the the best kind of experiences of my life, just coming like full circle, because that that anime was was really about like just this kid uh, in Japan who really loves football and goes on to great things and uh, uh, plays for a uh, a club that is like Barcelona but not Barcelona because they had copyright issues with the anime. Um, and he had like all, a lot of characters were based off of real life uh, footballers and managers. So you had um, a character I think called Louis, no Eric Van Sal, uh, who is a disciplinarian coach at Barcelona. We can guess who that is based off. Um, and and that was kind of my entry into football. And uh, that I, I kind of start playing now and then, um, and just really enjoying the sport. And, I, um, and yeah, and then um, a few years later. Uh, when I was around eight, uh, we moved to the Netherlands. Um, we moved to Amstelveen, which is around uh, 30, 40 minutes from um, the centre of Amsterdam and uh, uh, the kind of same um, distance from the Amsterdam Arena where I play. So, um, yeah, and I, I, I actually went to school with... Um, the son of uh, the sons of uh, Patrick Kluivert and oh, wow. uh, Shota Arvalatso. Um but uh, Patrick Kluivert, not the one that's currently turning up for Ajax's elder brother. Um, and and yeah, um, I started playing there, but I wasn't like any good. Um, I was just kind of started playing for fun, uh, and then I moved around a bit more, and then uh, just kind of started blogging, uh, just for the just for the fun of it. Really, I just really. It was one of those kids who wanted their opinion known and like wanted to put it out there. So I just really started writing because I wanted to get like some of my opinions down in in, in words and and put it out there and like see what other people thought. Uh, and and it was a very kind of unexpected one step led to another. Um, and you know in 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 uh, twenty fourteen I got got the well twenty thirteen I think no twenty fourteen twenty fourteen I got the uh, chance to write for Benefit which is um, a um, it, it it is a Dutch uh, blog it's not a Dutch blog sorry it's a blog concerned with Dutch and Belgian football um, and um, yeah I, I sent an email to the the, the editor there. Uh, in the summer before the World Cup, asking if I if I could contribute to the site, uh, and apparently he wasn't using that email anymore. So um, it was purely by chance that even like he uh, um, came across my email, um, 
and yeah and then and then he encouraged me further I started writing for them and then he said you should probably like you know write for try to write for bigger publications so December 2014 it got published in 442 and then the following year got published in the Guardian and then it's just kind of been a, a, a really insane ride uh yeah last year I got published in the in the blizzard which was kind of a long pipeline dream for me um and yeah it, it's, it's a very unexpected journey even for me I I still find it pretty surreal it's a huge achievement for someone to do this not only so young as you are but also just as a hobby you know and there's people who who do this for a career and spend hours every day trying to do the things you've done as a hobby, which I think is incredible. So well, it also kind of makes me feel guilty, and I feel like, well, am I taking away like the chance of someone who's worked a lot harder for this? Uh, and and yeah, so it's kind of just grappling with that, and um, you know, re- recognizing that I'm at a place now where you know uh, there are many more people who put in a lot more effort, and I'm just like, am I just kind of like floating around here? <laughs> It's a nice place to be, though. <laughs> I, quite, I quite like the fact that you went to school, the same school as Patrick Clivert and shot out of a lot of kids. And that was not Justin Clivert, it was an older it brother. It was his elder brother, So uh, his Quincy. dad was, like, an amazing footballer. Yeah, his, yeah, yeah. His yeah, little brother's an amazing footballer. What did he? What was he? Just a class clown? Well, <laughs> kind of. I mean, I mean, no, but I think, if I'm not wrong, at the start of the season, he was training with the Vitessa uh, Youth Academy. So I'm not sure where... That's gone, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, his, his younger brother is is pretty good for Ajax currently. But the real star of the family is the youngest brother, Shane Clivert, who has like his own Instagram and like his own YouTube channel. I think he's like nine years old, and oh, wow, he's yeah. got his own uh, contract with Nike. Um, I, I'm not even sure if like he will become a really good footballer, but he's got a really good kind of like YouTuber media career in the making. Wow. Because um, this weekend we had um, Kevin Campbell's son and Peter Schmeichel's son playing up against each that's other. Right. And that made me feel really old. Yeah, I felt exactly <laughs> the same. Is it Tyrese Campbell? Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. And he plays the same position as well. Yeah. As well, does Casper Schmeichel. Because um, he's a striker at Stoke, obviously. I just found out it's um, two years to the day, I think, or maybe three years since Berahino actually scored a goal. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was quite nice. nice little I, I, I always sort of feel a little bit sorry for players who play in the same position as their famous parents um especially in Casper Schmeichel's case you've got a lot to live up to but he's won the league so he can't really complain can he um, as we're talking about people with um famous dads and stuff um I wanted to ask Priya who her favorite who her favorite Dutch favorite ever Dutch footballer is uh, I mean the, the obvious choice is Johan Cruyff um who obviously I haven't seen live but 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 you know having seen like old uh Videos of games and and, and uh, matches and all that. Because um, which national team do you support? I see. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, I get the impression you are yeah, a Holland fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I watched Euro two thousand eight on a boat. Uh, I think it was like a school camp or something. But we were like on a boat and just jumping up and down when they beat France in mm-hmm. uh, the group stages. Um, I think my favourite of the the ones I've watched is probably Iron Robin just because he's he's so good at what he does. Mm-hmm. And he's not like the kind of archetypal Dutch footballer. So he's probably up there with personal favourite Klaas-Jan Huntelaar as well. Uh, but in terms of who was consistently good at the top and made difference. Uh, and yeah, it's just genuinely, he's 30 or 33 now. And mm-hmm. until you know, sometime late 2017, he was still one of, like, the best footballers for country and club, which yep. is which is ridiculous. Um, but I also really like uh, Frank Rijkaard because I think when it comes to the kind of pavilion of um, great Dutch footballers, he tends to always come behind the, the likes of Gullit and uh, Van Basten. Mm-hmm. But I think he was he was a much more all-round um, footballer and just, just had immense talent. Um, and... Um, he not many people can f- claim to finish their career the way he has by going back to the club uh, that you started or not really started out but mm-hmm. sort of start, started out at and winning the Champions League with, with basically the last uh, kick you'll, you'll ever play in the game and beating uh, it was his old team as well yeah, in the final absolutely. Milan but that yeah. was a beautiful Ajax team that had um, Cliver, David all those kind Lippmann of guys Lippmann yeah, Lippmann Lippmann yeah. one of the one of the things that I kind of feel sad about is the fact that English fans just remember Lipman and is the, 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 the kind of 
guy who was always injured at Liverpool. Uh, mm-hmm. But he was so good for, for Ajax. Um, it's no kind of mean feat filling Dennis Bergkamp's shoes uh, once he once he left for uh, Inter Milan. But um, the way Louis van Gaal talked about him was was amazing. He's too fawn over Lippmann. And, and he, he was pretty good at Liverpool. But I mean, he, it I was glimpses, wasn't it? He yeah. never really fully got going because, like you say, he was constantly injured, so it interrupted his his spell there. And he was an absolute nerd. Like I was reading, um, I, I found this out when I was reading Simon Cooper's uh, book. I think it was uh, Football Men. Um, and Lippmann was was an absolute football nerd. He used to collect like pieces of trivia and and go to quizzes in Amsterdam along with uh, Danny Blind and and take part in them and it's, it's it's quite amazing to see someone who like really enjoyed the game enjoyed playing it obviously but also just learning about it and just you know facts and 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 things like that is that fairly typical of players that play in the Netherlands would you say um yeah i'm saying this because i think i i could be completely wrong i get the impression that um Dutch footballers and footballers that play in the Netherlands are slightly more academic in a sense and under- have a really good broad understanding of the game. I think I think that is true to an extent, but um, I don't think it necessarily kind of makes them superior in mm. any sense because uh, I think I, I actually think Davinson Sanchez and Matthijs de Ligt was one of them was talking about it last year uh, before the Europe League final about how. Um, it's it's nice knowing that the, the the Dutch footballers are intelligent and can think of things. Yeah, Sanchez was talking about this, that Dutch players always have the thought before what they do. But sometimes you just have to kind of go in for it and have and have a sense of, you know, instinctive reactions to what happens in the game. And this is a massive like national conversation in the Netherlands as well in terms of how we need to change youth football in, in the Netherlands to kind of produce the, the 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 great players that we had and why we why is like the production line kind of stalling and stagnating in producing players who are slow not not as kind of adventurous in possession um and i i think it's a pretty um well not really damning but a, a, a pretty stark uh, contrast between players who've left the Netherlands, who left the Eredivisie recently but between the ones that were entirely educated in the Netherlands and came to the Netherlands when they were 16 to like 20. So if you, if you think of like Alderweireld, um, Vertonghen, Eriksen, Sanchez, uh, and, and even, you know, the, the guy who's kind of one of the, one of the best players now, uh, Herving, Herving Lozano, they all come, uh, you, you can even go back to like Luis Suarez, they all, they all came at a point when they wanted... They had the raw talent and needed some education, some like honing. Uh, but if you think about like Memphis Depay, who who I I still absolutely love to bits, but um, and and someone like Davy Klassen, who's currently you know in the wilderness at Everton, there is a kind of difference in um, the make of the footballer that's coming out of the Netherlands currently. And the ones that come out of the of Dutch clubs uh, in their Dutch youth systems, and there's like I, I'm I'm not smart enough to uh, analyze and kind of diagnose what's wrong with that, but there is a, a certain overhaul that's needed at that level in the Netherlands currently to uh, bring about this change. And I guess you can partly see it in the current Ajax kind of generation of uh, De Ligt and uh, Van der Beek. Uh, and and even Nori, you know, I mean, God, 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 God bless him, and uh, I still wish him well. Uh, and they were kind of very individual players in the mould that used to come out, and that's partly because of um, the, the the likes of Vim Yonk, who came back to the club in twenty uh, two thousand eight, sorry, and uh, was part of the cry for revolution that happened, and he kind of changed uh, the way the youth system worked a bit uh, and focused more on the individual and making them a lot more um, complete in their skill set. So it'll be interesting to see how that generation progresses and, you know, uh, uh, whether they can match up and make up for uh, a sort of lost generation between uh, after the likes of Robin and uh, Schneider. What you've just said there about um, Vim Yonk, that's exactly kind of how it started with Spurs as well. So... One of the reasons we wanted to get Priya on was to talk about the relationship that Spurs have had with Ajax. But I think it's worth mentioning also the um, link with Vilkova, who who taught the... I'm probably pronouncing... I'm butchering that name, I think. 
Was that okay? I got the thumbs up. I think I did it okay. Um, he he was brought into Spurs when Frank Arneson was director of football um, under Martin Yole. Well, the, the link between Ajax and Spurs goes back even further than that. So you're talking about Vic Buckingham, who went there mm-hmm. in the 60s, who was a teammate of Arthur Rowe, the famous push and run. And relating to what uh, Priya was saying earlier, when he arrived in Holland, he found a group of players who didn't want to boot the ball, who wanted to pass the ball. So it has been something that's been there, part of their ethos from the start. Um, I think Cruyff mentions this in his autobiography, is that he learnt one of the, the, the biggest lessons he got from Buckingham uh, was English. He used to hang around at the Buckingham household and mm-hmm. that's how he picked up English, by just kind of being there in, in, in that surrounding. Because he was um, a 17-year-old kid, I think. When, yeah, he, when he, he gave him, him his, his debut, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Called him his, I think called him his second son and they linked mm. up. Um, basically, Buckingham kind of... I'm going to butcher this name. Rinus Michels? Uh, Rinus Michels. Yeah. <laughs> and he kind of like was the forefather each so Ajax and then later on at Barcelona. So it, we are, I think Spurs and Ajax are like kind of intrinsically like we're linked. We're like intrinsically never, linked. Intrinsically linked. And that was, that was kind of the Dutch kind of revolution as it were at Spurs started again in 2005 when we appointed Ricardo Muniz as a skills trainer um, and I'll come back to that in a moment but it was when Martin Yol was uh, head coach and Yol said of um, Muniz he's one of the few protégés of the skills training guru um, Vil Kurva we are delighted to welcome him to our staff and it was such an important appointment because he then spent the next year and a bit indoctrinating our coaching staff into um, his particular coaching method which was the the, the curva method um, and basically this is I've written I've written about this before so I'm quite interested in it this the center of the model is that technique and skill can be taught in a kind of academic manner rather than just through technical ability being a natural phenomenon and it's essentially about prioritizing a player's touch and teaching 1v1 tricks um, breaking all these moves down into smaller plays and then slowly putting those together to be, to become uh, plays is a very american sporting term but i think it makes sense in this in this sense um, and then slowly combining these uh, and linking these movements to make up the game of football as it were so it's kind of breaking them down and then rehearsing them one by one to a point where players improve um technically and arneson and probably you obviously identified maniz who was um one of the few remaining teachers of this method, got him to Spurs and he he came in as what was called a skills coach, but it obviously became so much more than just teaching skills. And it was really about teaching the academy coaches how to coach young players. And I think that's been bearing fruit at Spurs for for quite a while now. Certainly in the um, Livermore, Colker, Adam Smith and Andros Townsend uh, crop, and, and you could argue Ryan Mason and Tom Carroll, they they were the first players that I saw who had probably shown signs of the Miniz effect and, and were technically better than the previous year's um, output from the academy. And since then, we've been de- developing these technically superior players. And I think a lot of it has to do with what the coaches at Spurs are teaching. And a lot of it does go back to Miniz and what he was doing. I mean, the sad thing was with Miniz, he's had a really he's gone on to, to change his career. He's become a manager himself and has been pretty unsuccessful and I sort of think stick to what you're good at Ricardo you know you're you're really good at skills coaching that's something you do superbly well a bit like um, um Andre Villas-Boas should have absolutely stayed as, uh, <laughs> <Stitchy> dossier. <laughs> as a scout instead of being a football manager or a rally car driver yeah exactly <laughs> I mean there's this how did that go did the Dakar rally he I had to pull think, out yeah, he, yeah. he got oh. injured I think and, and dropped out huh. Who would have thought he actually would do that after he said that? I mean, I really thought that was just like a, a whimsical thing he said in the press conference, but no, he actually did it. Anyway, we digress. Um, I mean, Menez has done nothing as a, as a manager. He ended up at Notts County for a while. That was probably what he's best known as. Some of, the, some of the best coaches don't make it as a manager. Steve McLaren is someone who's linked to Holland as well. He's always getting praised as a coach, but mm. as a manager, he hasn't been great. That's a great point. And we always see when an academy manager I, does I, well. Sorry. I, I think I think that's an important distinction because in, in the Netherlands, um, they don't call the, the manager as we know them, they they don't call them the manager, they call mm-hmm. them the head coach because yeah. that's the role that you're given within the club is to coach these players to be better. Not kind of... The, the, the word manager kind of goes back to the days where they kind of handled all of player recruitment and everything. 
but mm-hmm. now it's very much head coach, um, yeah. which yeah, is, is kind of better delineation of duty, I guess. Which I think was a title Pochettino had at Spurs for a long time, but I think that has been technically, I think it's changed to manager. It now, is, it? yeah. He had an upgrade to manager. Yeah. If, if you see it as an upgrade, that is. I mean, I think that shows the bond he has with Daniel Levy and the, and the trust that Levy has in him to take a more holistic approach to the club. But it's also maybe the anglification of um, Pochettino where he <laughs> needs to be a manager because there is an obsession in this country of a manager has to be in charge of everything. He does seem a bit of a control freak as well in many ways, I suppose. He's he's very meticulous with his preparation and I'm sure he's fine at delegating duties to his uh, coaching staff, but there's something in that. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, we've spoken about the links with, with Dutch football and with Ajax, it's kind of odd that we've got four previous Ajax players in our books at the moment and four w- of our best players. <laughs> I would like to take this moment to talk about a few other Ajax players at Spurs. Like Please do. Van der Vaart. Van der Vaart, of course. Mido. Um, Edgar, <laughs> Edgar Davids, who um, no one asked me who my favourite Dutch player of all time was, but I loved Edgar Davids. Mm-hmm. He was a brilliant player and we got him right he's, at the end of his um, career. He's- just recently been appointed the assistant coach for the Dutch under-20 team. Okay, oh, that's wow. good. Yeah. Good for him. Because um, even at Barnet, I think um, there's a story, on an away game he drove past um, a group of Barnet fans that had broken down and he paid for them all to get home and looked after them. And I remember him joining Spurs and even at that kind of advanced age, he actually came in. I hold him responsible for kind of turning Spurs around from being a very soft team to some, a team that actually challenged and well, pushed us very close to top four. And also Munir um, El Hamoudi as well. El Hamdawi. Uh, yeah. He uh, played with uh, Moussa Dembele at AZ. Okay. Yeah, they were teammates. And I remember this very clearly because I had a sticker book at the time. <laughs> uh, like a supermarket, every 10 euros you spend, you get a pack of, of, of stickers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I accidentally stuck Moussa Dembele in uh, Munir El Hamdawi's um, 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 place and then I still regret this to this day instead of sticking instead of just going ahead and sticking Munir in Musa's place I stuck him on top of Musa (laughs) (laughs) how could you do that to Dembele I I, my god I still regret this it is one of the biggest regrets I still have to this day so I got a question did you see did you ever see Dembele the striker yeah what was Dembele the striker like very skillful Um, I'd recommend because um, it's brilliant because the Eredivisie have recently uploaded like a whole archive of videos that you can go and look up but I'd recommend looking up his goal for RZ against his former side Fulham Tway mm-hmm. um, he basically starts somewhere just near the edge of the box slaloms past like five or six players and then dinks it like uh, past the keeper and it's very like it's Maradona-esque and um it, it was. It's. It's still very kind of interesting to me that he's now one of the, the, the best holding midfielders, the best kind of destroyers, mm-hmm. uh, in in the world. And it's it's a very interesting marriage of skill, I think, between his ability to dribble, uh, which he still retains, and the fact that he's gotten so good at kind of just moving past people and like breaking the opposition lines without even looking like he's putting in much effort he just yep. kind of glides on the pitch uh, and even when he kind of goes in for a tackle it's it doesn't look like a kind of crunching action it's kind of a he it's kind of like an assured he knows he's going to get the ball and mm-hmm. you know um and and yeah i mean actually continue uh, continuing on from dembele uh, more than Ajax, I think you should be grateful to uh, a, a Belgian club called um, Germinal Beerschot, um, which is where uh, not only Fatongen and uh, Alderweireld, but also uh, Dembele and uh, Victor Vanyama got their starts. Because, okay. um, yeah, the, the, that club, uh, uh, Germinal Beerschot and uh, Ajax, had a partnership, uh, which is how uh, the likes of Vermaelen and uh, Alderweireld and Fatongen came to um, um, Ajax. Okay. Interesting. And were they, uh, at what age did they join Ajax? Um, I think uh, Vertonghen joined in 2003 and uh, I think Toby joined the, the, the following year. Yeah. Uh, so they must have been around 16, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting because uh, when Germain Albeschot went for... Um, went and eventually got for Tongan. They went for the other Vertonghen. They went for his elder brother, uh, Ward, who was the striker. 
Uh, and But they saw Jan, who was playing in midfield. He was a midfielder for a long time, um, maybe until like 2008, I think, uh, before he, he was moved back to central defence. But yeah, they saw him and then picked him up instead. And that's how the, the kind of route to Ajax began. Um, and there was an interesting point very early on in his career where um, he got loaned out to... Oh, I, can't, I can't remember the club. I think it was RKC uh, Walvik. And um, uh, yeah, it was a 2006-07 season. Um, they... Um, were playing Ajax. Ajax, this is a season where three Eredivisie clubs went into the last day of the season with a chance of winning the title uh, and it was very close and in the end it was it was PSV who won it but um, AZ and Ajax came very close as well and I think three three uh, games from the from the end of the season um, it, so in the Netherlands if you're loaned out to a club you can still play against your parent club so uh, Vertonghen played for RKC Valwijk against Ajax uh, and he scored, and Ajax drew the drew the game. And uh, the manager at the time was uh, Henk Tenkata, uh, and he apparently um, went to Vertonghen in the tunnel after the game, and and was like, "You'll never play for Ajax in your life. This is it. You can't do this to your club. You will never play for Ajax again." Uh, but he was sacked, so it didn't make a difference in the end. <laughs> the new manager forgot. I didn't know about it in the first place, so he got away with that one. It's quite interesting that he started as a midfielder because that's one of the key concepts of total football is the ability to fit in in other positions, right? That's like the main thing is you're you're flexible and when one player moves out of his position, you can slot in. And I think we see that throughout the Spurs team. There's a huge amount of flexibility. Pochettino clearly values versatility incredibly highly and all of the players that we've signed from, from the Netherlands have that in spades. Um, Alderweireld has basically only ever played as a centre-back for us but he's played loads in holding midfield at right back throughout his career he's a very very versatile player the Tongans obviously played various positions for us midfield, left wing back, left back, centre-back Eriksen can pretty much play anywhere across the midfield happily I mean he's, he's, he's even improving now to the point where you'd think he could probably hold his own in a double pivot I've got questions the on Al How come he ended up at Southampton, then Tottenham? Because I know he went to Atletico Madrid. Was there a perceived drop drop off in performance, or was there something that happened in his career that kind of put him to like towards Southampton, then to us? I think it was. I'm not entirely sure if Tottenham were interested in him in that window, but um, I personally think it is 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 because of the. Um, Partly because of the black box uh, system that the, the Southampton have in terms of replacing players, and I guess was it was it um, uh, Lovren that he yeah it was Lovren mm-hmm. that he replaced, um, and I, I I'm not entirely sure if if the fact that Ronald Koeman was manager had a part to play in it because obviously he'd seen Oliveira at, at close quarters when he was um, um, manager at Feyenoord at uh, PSV and then Feyenoord. Um, so he kind of charted Alderweireld's uh, uh, growth in the Netherlands, and I think I actually think Kuman's kind of presence had an effect on quite a few signings. So you, you look at Tadic, Pella, um, uh, uh, even Sadio Mane, because Mane absolutely annihilated Ajax in uh, the Europa League, um, and I, I I think a lot of people in the Netherlands kind of perked up at the fact that Mane joined uh, Southampton then. Um, and I think he definitely found it hard in in Madrid with with Atletico because he's talked about this as well. And is this is the fact that um, he he'd gone from this total football, well, not really total football, but because uh, it's still kind of a very watered down version of it mm-hmm. at Ajax currently. Nothing can kind of match up to mm. the level it was. Um, but it was a very drastic change in style for him uh, going from this side where he had a lot of time on the ball and he could go forward and, and help with creating play to Simeone's kind of you know um, um, I, I I just when I think of Simeone I think of you know the the, the, the ancient Romans used to have this uh, um, military kind of formation called the Tortuga the I think the yeah. tortoiseshell yeah yeah and that's kind of what I envision Simeone's mm-hmm. side to be at some point is a very kind of compact structure where you leave no gaps for the opponent to get you uh, and I can understand. It's understandable to see how that would be quite a big difference for him, 
even if Frank de Boer was actually one of the the, the, the better coaches uh, in the Eredivisie at uh, making defenders better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he struggled with that and he struggled with the fact that he he couldn't break through in the team with uh, uh, Godin and uh, Miranda uh, in, in the centre of defence. Um, and obviously the fact that he came on in the in the Champions League final and then everything fell apart for uh, Atletico Madrid. Um, I think he's also kind of the personality that we kind of got from him at, at Ajax was, was a bit softer than 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 Jan Vertonghen and uh, I think he he struggled with like homesickness and stuff when he first came to Ajax mm-hmm. as a as a teenager as well. Uh, and I think he just needed a team at that point where he knew he'd be getting games and he knew the style of football would suit him. So at Southampton, because, you know, Koeman plays that kind of football where in his first season and second season as well, first season especially, I thought Southampton were quite impressive in the in the first uh, um, half of the, of the, of the season. Um, and you could see how that kind of helped him build his confidence a bit more. And I think that's definitely played a, um, a role in his growth uh, back at Spurs because that allowed him to find his feet again and then in a league where he kind of knew the way uh, now he could then go to Spurs in a, you know, a better team and get the opportunity to both develop himself as a player and help a team that was quite it was quite exciting at the time and it still does still have a lot of potential mm-hmm. Are they both I presume Alderweireld and Vertonghen are both held of a great deal of affection by Ajax fans for Tongan especially because um, it, he was captain for for a while um, and he like one of the kind of defining images I can still remember is um, so in the 2011 sorry t- 2010 11 season uh, when Frank de Boer took over in in, in December 2010 um, that was the first season that Ajax her had um, won the title I think in six or seven years. Uh, and it came down to like it kind of played out where the last match day was essentially a final because the two teams who had a chance of winning a title were playing against each other, um, FC Twente at, uh, at the Amsterdam Arena against Ajax, and I think I think it was at full time when the, the, the whistle blew and Vertonghen basically collapsed into the floor clutching his Ajax shirt, and it was he was crying it was he was in tears and it kind of really showed that. He was Belgian, yes, but he seemed to understand the club as much as like someone who had been brought, born and brought up in in Amsterdam and grew up with with you know, to borrow a cliche, like the club in his blood and 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 things like that. And I think he got in, he did get into trouble for letting that get the better of him. I think in 2010, when uh, they won the, um, the the Baker, the 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 kind of cup, um, the domestic cup under Martin Yo, yeah. Um, and I think they, it, it, the Ajax like, do a kind of parade and ceremony and stuff. And Vertonghen called um, the, the final... They beat Feyenoord in the final as well. So uh, the, he insulted Feyenoord fans, let, let's put it that way. Don't want to repeat what he said, but um, it was it, it was a, a not particularly a tasteful chant that some of the extreme um, sections of the Ajax fandom have for Feyenoord. Uh, and he got he he did get kind of punished for that from the club and uh, the, the 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 association as well. But I think that kind of also endeared him a lot to the kind of hardcore Ajax <laughs> fans. So interesting to hear you speak of Vertonghen in terms of showing his emotion on the pitch, because so often we've seen him as the ice man, and he's been referred to as having a bit of an attitude problem and being a bit moody. And Pochettino's come out recently and sort of said. He's been working on on Vertonghen's attitude and trying to get him to show the right body language on the pitch, but clearly that was something he had, certainly in his Ajax days, and perhaps it was the link with the club, and that was maybe what was missing at Spurs, particularly when Tim Sherwood was in charge, and he probably felt like he was going nowhere and, and drifting, and maybe that's something to do with Pochettino's style of management. He's kind of brought not only the fans back on side of the direction of travel with the club, but the players too, and they all feel like they're buying into it more and, and Vertonghen's grown in that respect. Yeah, I was going to mention the Vertonghen body language. There was the game at Liverpool where he looked very like uninterested and there was comments from Sherwood post-Chelsea about his attitude. But I'm also quite curious about um, Christian Eriksen because I've seen you mention quite a few times on Twitter that um, the price Spurs got Eriksen for was, is an outrageous oh, amount of money. Oh, my God. Um, my... 
I have a Spotify la- uh, playlist um, of sad songs, and that the, the 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 cover picture for that is Ericsson holding his sweatshirt. No, no, g- genuinely, just because it was an absolute bargain price for someone who we knew that from the age of you know nineteen or, or twenty was already destined to go to like that. That's partly something I was upset with was the fact that he didn't go for a bigger club and, and none of the bigger clubs wanted him. I think there was talk of Borussia Dortmund at that point, um, but they that was the time when they got uh, Mkhitaryan instead. So uh, negotiations there broke down and he ended up going to Spurs. But I, I still kind of can't believe that Mark Overmars let him go to Spurs for 11 million. It's just... It's still implausible for me. It's kind of made up for it by the fact that Ajax have gotten good returns on the likes of uh, Milik and uh, Sanchez as well. But I still can't believe that... It's partly to do with the fact that he was in the last year of contract and all that, but it's still... You tell me all of this, you explain all the logic to me, I I get it, but it's still 11 million for (laughs) one one of the best talents in the world at that point. And who has, you know, not really moved away from what we expected of him in that he's now one of the best midfielders in the world. And I'll, I'll say that without an, a shred of doubt because he definitely is one of the best midfielders, you know, one of the best in this position. He can do things with the football that many players can only dream of doing. He's a magician. Um, I must admit, I had my doubts with Ericsson at times. I've gone through moments with Ericsson I've, as well. I've, I've had peaks and troughs with him. Um and I think I was probably hard on him because I saw him as being experienced despite his age because he started so young. And so you kind of mm. apply logic that you wouldn't normally apply to a player of his age. And that was unfair of me. It was irrational to assume that he could do things that a 26, 27-year-old could do. He was 22. I mean, t- to be honest, he was balding at 21. So yeah, he, he <laughs> looked older as well, right? <laughs> Um, but I mean the the growth in Ericsson since well especially since Pochettino came in and he started running as hard as he does now and and doing the extra things that he didn't used to do, but not just that his his vision and ability to spot a pass are unparalleled. His sensible use of of the ball mixed with his creative vision make him one of the best and most unique playmakers in the country. And I think. Barcelona were crazy to go for Coutinho and not Ericsson. Absolutely crazy. There's, I mean, Coutinho is perhaps more of a poster boy, being Brazilian and mm. and good looking. Um, but Ericsson, in my mind, is is the better player. I mean, we've at points we've survived without Toby and Jan, and we've survived periods even without Kane. But those games where Ericsson is missing, that's where we have a huge hole in our team. And even the latest game against Palace, he had an off match, and the whole team is off. He really does make everybody tick. I Ajax even at the Eredivisie level took um, let's see probably three seasons to replace him when when he left um, and there, I mean there was a lot of kind of you know uh, inefficiency on the technical director's part and all that but uh, it took until they got Hakim Ziyech last year for mm-hmm. them to kind of get a, a proper person to proper kind of replacement in terms of the creative ability that Ericsson showed when he was 20, 21 uh, and, and and I remember like this this quote from Frank De Boro who said um, uh, he, he has eyes in his back when you think he doesn't see you but he sees you and he's always I remember one of his one of his youth coaches talking about this as well about how he always had to be moved up uh, to older levels so when he was 16 he was playing with the under 90s in Ajax uh, and he took maybe two games to adapt and that was it. Once he kind of got the rhythm of it, that was it. What's the next what's the next step? That was it. Um and and that I think that kind of hunger to improve has always been has always been a part of him. I think I actually think in terms of body language, there there is an issue more with Ericsson sometimes than than for Tongan, but I mean I I I, I, I kind of my impression of a Tongan is is built on the the, the, the years at Ajax, um, but I think Ericsson is still just just so mature beyond his his years. And I I, I to be honest, I do agree that um, I think in his first season I was a bit skeptical, and I it's partly because um, was it uh, Viaspo at the time was playing him out on the left. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, what are you doing? Like, he's your best number 10 and you're playing Lewis Holtby instead of him. Um, but I, I, I think I'm just really pleased with the way Ericsson's evolved. And uh, um, he's always been a runner, but I think now he makes... He's very smart in his running. He's very good at kind of conserving energy when he needs to, but he's, he will run any opponent uh, 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 to the ground if, if he needs to. And you saw that in, in the game against Juventus when... Um, I mean, yes, they had injuries in midfield, but a midfield of Pjanic and Kadira, you don't just, uh, you know, neutralise them by by not being good at what you do. And Ericsson is... Um, I, I'm probably pretty boring everyone yeah. with... Uh, no, no, by it's, singing it's, his praise, it's great but, um, to hear you wax lyrical about him because we feel exactly the same. And what I have to say is that left-hand side of Tottenham is very fertile ground. This is where we produced Gareth Bale, Luka Modric and Eriksson. They were all forced left before they were allowed to come in the middle. It's almost yeah. like we ha- feel like we have to protect um, as someone who's quite technical before we before mm-hmm. we fully trust them. That's very true. I think that's a good point. I think we might see similar with, with Lucas Moura as well. Um, as he as he becomes accustomed to mm-hmm. life at Spurs, um, I'm glad you mentioned the Juventus game there, Priya, because I I felt that Dembele the the I mean Dembele was amazing in that game as well, but the fact that uh, Dembele was seen as man of the match in those kind of four games in a row overshadowed how good Eriksson was in in the eyes of the media. And actually, I thought Eriksson was our best player in, against Juventus. I thought he was absolutely out of his world in some of the things he did, um, and it's it's nice to hear him get some praise for that. We had a question from James Hedges on Facebook who says, how do Ajax fans view us? Do they resent us buying their best players or is there an affection for Spurs? And who do we buy next? That's something that comes up a lot, actually. (laughs) Um, We had similar questions from Tetrunk and Mark Lynch on Twitter, as well as Dan KP on Facebook. Who do we sign next from Ajax? And Tetrunk specifically said, Delict, will he be ready to replace Toby this summer? So I guess there's two questions there. How do Ajax fans view us and who do we buy next? Well, I mean, I I don't think there's resentment because I think at this point there is just a sort of acceptance with Dutch clubs that we're never going to, you know, match the English clubs in terms of money or in terms of the wages we can offer. And obviously the level of competition in uh, the Eredivisie is not as as good as England. Um, And even the, the kind of odd good performance you know like like Ajax's run in the Europa League or the year that PSV uh, really um, took Atletico Madrid to penalties those tend to be blips nowadays which is which is a bit concerning which is a bit depressing but um, it's it is just sort of accepted that these players uh, are mostly just produced to um, do well for the club, obviously, but they're also there to improve as players. And the end for them is that they will eventually be sold to a, a, a bigger club. Um, and I, 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 yeah, I, I don't think there's resentment at this point. I think it's just more of um, wishing them well, and that's probably one of the uh, one of the kind of key changes in the attitude that, that I think Dutch fans have now. Is that they just kind of wish their ex players well and hold their hold them still hold them close to heart. So I see PSV fans, you know, always uh, liking what 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 Memphis Depay does at Lyon and uh, kind of uh, supporting them through that. And even even Dutch clubs on on Twitter are like constantly kind of you know um, um, doing throwbacks to when all these great players are at their clubs. Um, so no, I, I don't think it's resentment for sure. Um, because our best players are just are going to go somewhere anyway. So, uh, and the fact that four of well four of uh, the Ajax players and people like Musa Dembele uh, have had success at Spurs definitely makes it kind of you know you know that's a good example. So you always see these examples of how transfers from the Eredivisie always fail. You think of Vincent Janssen, obviously, <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, but it's it's nice to have a good example. Uh, to counter that, and you have that in the form of the the, the, the players that mostly Spurs have bought. Um, so yeah, I, I think I, I'm personally quite grateful to Spurs for making the making such successes out of the Eredivisie transfers because I can always counter anyone who brings up uh, Afonso Alves or someone with, oh, look at Luis Suarez, look at look at Vertonghen, look at Alderweireld. So who's next? Nathan, who's normally on this podcast, is very very excited by um, De Jong. And he he wanted to know if you see Ajax accepting bids for him anytime soon. Um, unless it's massive 
say 60, 70 million. Oh, wow. uh, unlikely. Um, because both De Jong and De Ligt, I think, are under long-term contracts and they're very young. Uh, and I think it will be at least a season, if not two, before one of them moves. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's De Ligt first, to be honest, because um, he's had Barcelona and Bayern follow him uh, for a while now. Uh, and they can obviously afford those prices as well. Mm. Um, but no, I, th- I think most people would, would, would agree that he is likely to stay for at least another season, if not two, and will probably become Ajax captain in another season or two as well. De Ligt so, or De Jong? De Ligt. Mm. Um, uh, and it's, it's, De Jong, I, I like him, but I have an issue with the way football Twitter seems to portray him there, there are literally tweets that say he will be better than Cruyff. There's, there was an article on a website that's quite reputed, and I won't name it, but the, the, the headline was that he can be better than Beckenbauer, and I'm like, where are you, where are you getting these impressions from? Because, yes, he's good, and I think the hype is because he's doing something that, uh, one, he's young, and two, um, he's dribbling out of defence. But the kind of caveat there is he's doing it in the Eredivisie where teams give Ajax a lot of time on the ball and a lot of and they try to limit possession to their defenders, which is why De Jong at centre back works because he used to be a midfielder uh, for for those who don't know, um, and he was only moved to centre back, uh, you know, in, in November against uh, PSV. Um, and and he's been pretty good, but even in that time, De Ligt has been the better centre back, and De Jong is currently he's good, he has potential, but I do think he does his future isn't at centre back. He will move back to midfield at some point, um, and I, 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 he's I I I think he can potentially be a kind of Moussa Dembele like player, but. Um, it's obviously still pretty early to say this Ajax team is very young and they've just got a new coach um, and we'll definitely have to give it a bit more time before we kind of assess this. But I, I do know from very uh, uh, good friends um, in who works who work really well with statistics that De Jong comes out top on a lot of metrics that they have in terms of you know, dribbling ability and passing ability. But it, I, I just really stress the caveat that it's the Eredivisie. And the irony is, whenever I hype an Eredivisie talent, I get these replies saying, oh, it's just the Eredivisie. And I'm, I'm literally telling you the same <laughs> thing now. I mean, it's, it's don't, don't get um, crazy about a talent. And then because the people who kind of uh, uh, have to kind of suffer the collateral damage for, for, for it at the end are people who work like uh, and write about Dutch football. So I will get... Uh, a lot of a lot of tweets saying, you know, if something doesn't go well, oh, why isn't he doing well? Why isn't he doing well? And I'm like, well, yeah, but there, you know, there's always the caveat that it's the Eredivisie and there can be successes and failures. Um, but uh, I mean, just to kind of summarise that, um, I definitely think De Ligt has a very high ceiling. Um, and De Jong, um, someone actually, someone try to work out the, 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 the number of passes, number of forward passes that he was playing when he was in midfield and in defence, and it's exactly the same. Oh, wow. So it's not like he's making more adventurous passes. It's not like he's, uh, uh, um, you know, he's he's it's playing the, the same role. The exactly, back. he's playing the same role he played in midfield, but in defence. So it's, it's a bit like a, 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 a rotating kind of three-man to four-man defence where in possession he goes up front and not up front, sorry. Uh, he goes to join midfield uh, and adds to adds to the options there but in defence he drops back and I think the novelty of that, well, not really the novelty, this has been done for, for many, many years and many teams before this. But, um, and yeah, just, just I would exercise some caution <laughs> regarding this. I, I do think he's talented but... Uh, we do need to kind of hold our horses on on that. Because in the Eredivisie, you have um, the ultimate golden child playing there at the moment, Martin Odegaard, the Real Madrid superstar. How's he getting on? Uh, a bit of hit and miss. Um, I think he's... This is 
more of his level currently. So he is he's able to play matches and influence them, not very regularly, but now and then. So I think consistency is still something he needs to work on. But um, Her and Fien have actually had, they have a pretty decent uh, um, few attackers in um, Reza, who's uh, an Iranian striker, and uh, Arba Zenli, who I really like um, uh, as a winger. Um, and and I think with Odegaard, I think he's kind of the big example that I'd say in terms of someone who's hyped up very much at mm-hmm. a very young age and then isn't... Well, I, I don't know if it's the guidance or, or the way Real Madrid planned to bring him into the team or if they had a plan. Um, but I think currently, I think this is a good level for him currently to um, look to improve what he can do and then... It's it's basically the same as you know anyone like like Ericsson or uh, even um, Memphis Depay. No, so you look to be the best at this level mm-hmm. at the Eredivisie before you go and, and improve. And I don't think Odegaard is currently anywhere near the kind of top ten players yeah. in the Eredivisie. I mean, I think um, De Jong and De Ligt would take a good example using Davinson Sanchez, who had the opportunity to possibly move to La Liga or Barcelona, who's heavily linked there. But I think he possibly he mentions this could be nonsense that he spoke to Pochettino and it kind of convinced him to come to Spurs as a more kind of a, a stepping stone onto greatness. Yeah, follow the well-trodden path of Vertonghen and Alderweireld and, and come to Spurs and, and, and not, build. not join the monster of Real Madrid and Barcelona <laughs> where things are, it's a very different situation there. Yeah, and, and I think you really can't underestimate the kind of pressure you'd be under playing in defence for... Thomas Vermaelen talked about yeah. this uh, um, when when before the before the Chelsea game, uh, where being a defender for Barcelona isn't as easy as everyone thinks. I mean, everyone thinks, oh, you just let the midfield have the ball, mm. just put it up like to the other end, and you just sit back and you know have have nothing to do. But defending with fifty yards behind you isn't as yeah. easy as as they they might make it out to be. And I think definitely that kind of I I I wouldn't be surprised if Ericsson. Um, kind of has that same progression in mind where I mean I touch wood I don't know um, but in a, in a few years he might look to move on to one of Real Madrid Barcelona if, if they're mm-hmm. interested in him um, but the fact that he moved to the Premier League before that would is, is absolutely invaluable because you do gain a different set of skills and you try to you know uh, become a more well-rounded player become a kind of total footballer I'm, I'm doing um, air quotes. quotes in the air um, <laughs> because that will then help you adapt to basically any team in, in, in any league once you're once you have the talent obviously he has the natural talent uh, and you have the ability to um, be flexible in, in the way you play and the positions you can play Do you think this um, lack of flexibility is possibly Janssen's downfall? Because this was a guy, he broke the um, uh, Dutch record of 20 goals in the second half of the season. And he seemed to have the ability to score goals, but he was unable to adapt to English football. But it's not just Janssen, there have been others. You've mentioned Alves and Kesman and Samaras, these kind of guys. They haven't been able to play the, the total kind of complete forward role that you need in England. Yeah, um, and I think just the, the transition between leagues is quite an interesting thing. And... Um, I was at the Opta Pro Forum recently, which is a kind of analytics forum, uh, and one of the talks there was uh, by Ben Torveny, uh who tried to look at how difficult it is to, you know, for example, play a forward pass or play a final third pass in the Premier League compared to La Liga or, you know, compared to the Eredivisie or the Championship. Um, and the jump between the... I mean without divulging too much in uh, into details um the the jump between the Eredivisie and the Premier League is quite big and I'm not entirely sure he ever got to settle in um and it's partly to do with the kind of lack of clarity in terms of the plan for him I wasn't very clear on whether Pochettino wanted to play him up top and have Kane kind of in a number 10 role behind him or whether he was just bought to be Kane's uh, um, like kind of um, oh sorry Um, deputy yeah Kane's deputy yeah yeah yeah, Kane's um, um, replacement on the bench Um, and I think the kind of instability there might have played a role and the fact that he didn't have a really 
like flying start at AZ. Didn't have a really flying start at uh, Almer City where he was before that. He and was actually dropped. Um, he was he was rejected by PSV as a youngster. He was, yeah, he didn't make yeah. it there. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you look at he followed what is kind of become the Clash Jan Huntelaar uh, pathway because he was rejected by PSV as a mm-hmm. as a youngster as well. Came through there, uh, and then he went to uh, he went to a, a, a club that was in the league below. And then came up with um, Fane and then moved to Ajax. So it was it was kind of that path. But um, I think with Janssen, it's just I'm not entirely sure if he got enough time to settle in before he was kind of thrust into the spotlight. Um, and he has he has previous in terms of taking time to settle into a club and getting his scoring boots on. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not sure if he was afforded that kind of confidence or time at Spurs. And the fact that he just wasn't impressive when he did play, yeah. um, he was he was good at the kind of you know holding up the ball and 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 all that. But you signed him to score goals and he didn't do that, so it's perfectly understandable. It's, it's a pity now that he's injured it, um, uh, in Turkey as well, because I mean it's it's not like the Dutch have a national tournament <laughs> coming up. That's fine, but it's just a pity for him in terms of his career because. This almost definitely means he'll be either sold in the summer or loaned mm-hmm. out again. I was going to ask you because obviously I don't have I support Italy and my national team aren't at the World Cup either. So who are you going to support? Who are you going to be following? Belgium probably. Okay. Uh, just because it's the kind of geographical uh, uh, neighbour and uh, um, well, I mean for years the Belgians apparently supported the Dutch when their team wasn't very good, and wasn't making it to these tournaments. So. Might as well, you know, do the opposite and uh, support the the Belgium uh, Belgium team. Or I actually quite like Denmark as well. Yeah. Um, um, so you've gone for the teams that have the the Spurs players who come from the Eredivisie, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, Denmark have um, Eriksson, but they also have like Lasse Schoner and uh, Nikolai Jorgensen, uh, who's at Feyenoord. And uh, if if Kasper Dolberg is fit, he'll yeah. probably make the I squad like, as well. I really so, like the look uh, of Dolberg. He's someone I'd like to see in the Premier League at some point. See, he's. He's had a lot of injury issues this season, which is which has again been quite a pity. Uh, but he was very close to joining, not very close, but he, uh, Ajax did receive a bid of like fifty million from Monaco for Dolberg to replace Kylian Mbappe oh, wow. on the last day of um, dead, uh, well, deadline day in the summer. Okay. Going back to Janssen briefly, I mean, I'm at the point now where I'm willing to forgive you, Priya, for, for, <laughs> for the false promises with, with Vincent uh, Janssen. But I am, I'm interested. I am sorry. I, I mean, uh, I, I, I was just excited by the fact that there was, you know, a, a narrative as the attacker who might actually come good after Luis Suarez in, in the Premier League. But you've given us Davinson Sanchez, so I think it's time for all Spurs fans to let it go. And with that, I'm calling for Spurs fans to tweet Priya with <laughs> I forgive you Priya as a hashtag. Um, because she's had a lot of abuse <laughs> over, yeah, over Vincent yeah. Janssen, so let's do a nice thing. Hashtag I forgive you Priya. Um, we, we've got a couple of questions. Uh, we, we're kind of we're running close to the hour mark, so I'm going to go with this one, which I liked from Thomas Keane. TJP Keen 89 on Twitter. How do fans of Vitesse feel about the Chelsea farm team situation? How about the rest of the Netherlands? Can you see this being repeated in the Eredivisie with others? Well, I mean, it's kind of been a, a, a bit of a mixed reaction, I guess, where other other teams, well, other other teams and, and their fans don't particularly, you know, take very warmly or took very warmly to to the um, relationship that Vitesse had with Chelsea and that was mostly to do with the fact that behind the scenes it was an absolute mess where um, um, you know uh, Mirab Jordania who got the who did the takeover in, for Vitesse in I think 20, 2010 uh, he was backed by um, Alexander Churiginsky who is a Russian who has uh, another Russian oligarch who has ties to Roman Abramovich um, and of course, like UEFA, UEFA state that no clubs um, under the same kind of ownership or senior management can uh, play in the same competition. So that was actually something that came up in, I think, 2014 when Vitesse qualified for the Europa League, I think. Uh, and there was a whole kind of issue regarding whether they'd be allowed to play or not. Um, oh, no, no, no. They, uh, yeah. Might be right. I might be getting my facts wrong here, but there was definitely a point uh, at when they um, after the twenty thirteen fourteen season where they had uh, uh, quite a bit of confusion over whether Vitesse and Chelsea could play in the same competition. Um, 
but it's just it's just ha- it just has been a bit murky and fishy uh, regarding that and the way that the the the, the relationship between the clubs work. But um, I think initially there was a kind of aversion to it because it was sort of dilution of identity because you bring in like half a team of low knees um, and they have no kind of emotional connection to the club. Uh, they're not permanently employed by it. They kind of are, you know, they're, they're, their report back is to Chelsea and that that's who their club is. Um, and there's the kind of worry that they're just here for the season and they'll go and then you'll get a new batch, but they still need time to get used to the club again. Uh, and you don't know if the new loanees are going to be as good as the old one. So Christian Atsu, who was uh, a loanee in, I think, 2013-14, was really good. Uh, and then when he left, they couldn't replace him because the new batch wasn't as good. And then it took until, I think, the end of the season when Bertrand Traore started firing. Um, so there is that. But, I mean, Vitesse have recently kind of taken up that identity in, in some jest as well. Uh, and um, I think they had a they had a banner a few years ago where they said Chelsea B and proud of it or something <laughs> of the kind. Um, and and it's, it's quite... It, it also starts to sound a bit hypocritical of the other clubs talk about it as well because Ajax uh, loaned Traore from Chelsea. Um, uh, Vitesse currently have... Sorry, not Vitesse, sorry. PSV have Van Hinkle. Uh, and quite a few Dutch clubs have... I think Nag Breda especially have... Uh, a few loanees from Man City as well, so yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's quite as dark or as seedy as the kind of city conglomerate where they've got all their oh, teams. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's not quite as dirty as the Red Bull uh, mission mm-hmm. either. So I can kind of see it. It's not. Yeah, for me, I don't mind it too much. It's sending players out on loan if that's how they want to do it. There's the um, Watford, Granada, Udinese mm-hmm. kind of link the Pozzo family. So I don't, I mean, I don't watch a lot of Dutch football, so I don't put it on the same kind of level as the city conglomerate. I think it's partly the, the fact that Dutch football, you know, the, the the youth system bringing up our own players was one of the, the points of pride in a, mm-hmm. in a time where there is little else to be proud of uh, in, in Dutch football. Um, and it, it's just, I think that was a sort of relationship that... Um, was one of the first of its kind in the Netherlands. Um, well, I mean, they've had it in the past. Chelsea actually had a relationship with PSV in the past. But I think with with Vitesse and Chelsea, there was just... some For some reason, there was just a bit more of an aversion to it. And I, I don't think it was um, entirely independent... Uh, sorry, it, it was entirely kind of um, without influence from the way the English media viewed it. Mm-hmm. And they viewed it as quite something that was wrong. And, you know, the fact that uh, Vitessa basically just running the Chelsea reserves. And I think that influenced, again, the Dutch public a bit, so yeah. the, 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 the Dutch fans a bit. Um, but I, I agree, like, it's, it's not as um, uh, uh, murky as the whole mm-hmm. city kind of group of a city football group where you know they've got um they've got corona and uh, uh new york city yeah. and melbourne yeah city. melbourne city as a well Uruguayan yeah. team. and there was also man united had a similar kind of deal i think in the 90s with a belgian team maybe standard but it might be Anderlecht. Antwerp, yeah they sent a few players out there as well so it's not a new thing it's just no, yeah. and I think there's this perception that Chelsea buy in all their young players and, and farm them out, which in some senses is correct, but also the majority of their youth teams over the past few years have come have been at Chelsea for years and years and years, decade, a decade basically. So it's a slightly unfair perception. And mm. some of the players who are at Vitesse now or have been there recently have come through the ranks at Chelsea. And, Mason and Mount is doing say, really well. He's a player really I saw well. a lot of um, in youth football and he's a really talented mm-hmm. kid. I'm, I, Got kind of high hopes for him as a future England prospect. So I'm quite I'm quite glad to see him um, having a first team opportunity and doing well out there. Lewis Baker, who's there for uh, two seasons, was was really good as well. I think especially in the second season, uh, where he could have had the opportunity to kind of go to an English club, but he came back to Vitesse saying I because he did do well, but it, it was in patches. Mm-hmm. And he went, he came back, and he was like, I want to I want to get a first team spot, and he did it. He was one of the one of their main starters for most of that season, and. Uh, uh, played I think the year before when they won the um, the 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 KNVB Cup uh, the the domestic cup he played quite a big role and scored in basically every round other than the semi-finals and the finals I think and that can only be 
be a good thing for a player's development in terms of looking at it holistically from a national team perspective. Right, before I let you guys go, I do want some uh, further reading from you as we do each time. So which what have you been reading or listening to that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Um, well, it's, this is not related to football, but it's a uh, an article on the New Yorker. It's not. It's quite a long article. It's basically a, a mini novel, but it's called The White Darkness, and it's about um, it's a a uh, story about a man who set out to cross Antarctica by himself uh, a few years ago, uh, and it is it is unlike anything I've read in the last year it is amazing it's not only the actual details of the journey and like what he was trying to accomplish it was everything behind it and the way it was written as well uh, it was absolutely magnificent lovely mine is um, Asif Kapadia who was the director who made the Senna film and the Amy um, Amy, um, the Amy film as well he was on the Totally Football show Golazo Pod uh, where he talks about his new film um, the Mar- about Maradona, which um, it was. What a is gr- that part again? Sorry, does that part exist? <laughs> 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 no, I, I quite like the the Galazzo one. Yeah, and um, it's, it was a great insight into uh, Maradona, the guy that took a team of nothing up against um, Inter Milan and Juventus in the late '80s, where these were three kind of unstoppable forces. There's political issues. There's like class issues. And it's um, it's a great podcast. It's just him and James Horcastle, and it's especially relevant now, given what Napoli are on the verge of doing again, like for the first time since Maradona was there. So um, I know Priya is a huge fan of how Napoli score goals. So <laughs> it's um, it's a really nice podcast to listen to. Their midfield is really good of uh, Alan Shorginho and uh, Hamsik. And uh, Insigne, and only an idiot would not. Dries Mertens, of course. Dries Mertens, yep. formerly of PSV, who is. What a, he's having a great end to his yeah. career. Don't yeah. get him started on Italian football. I try and veer him off every time. Well, I was about to stick the knife into Ventura, but I'll let, I'll let <laughs> uh, My recommendation this time round is uh, Seb Stafford Bull's piece, 24 Hours at Wembley on Tottenham's Derby Day for Tifo Football, which is a beautifully written piece. And I don't want to spoil it by telling you what it's about, but um, the, the title sort of gives away elements. But do go and read that. It's really excellent. Um, Priya, thank you so much for, for your time and for joining us and um, coming down. It's been very much appreciated and absolutely fascinating insight into all things Dutch football and beyond. Where can people read more of your stuff online? Um, various places, but if you just follow me on Twitter, I, I tweet these out now and then. Priya H. Ramesh, is that a reference to your central midfield number? Yes, it was It was my uh, favourite number and um, my my birthday is on the 26th of August, so 2 plus 6 is 8 and the, the, I was born in the <laughs> nice. 8th month. So, yeah. Nicely done. And Bardi, as ever, is Bardi TFC. Thank you, Bardi. Good yep. to see you, mate. I had some Crystal Palace fans um, quite upset. They thought I'd got forgot the H for Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> 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 That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, Give us feedback and ideas for talking points and we'll try and be back next month. Thank you once again to Cave at SNK Studios. Very much appreciated, as ever. Bye for now. Bye. Bye-bye. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Clock. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Oh, that was really interesting, mate, yeah.